Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We have moved on to week two. Hayden Winks, this is the best show of the week. All of our content, amazing. But if you watch this one, the 32 player facts you must know heading into week two with the foundation being Hayden Winks's fantasy usage model where we combine his stats, his spreadsheets with both of us watching all 16 games from the first week to really tell you if players are washed, who's the real starters, the situations that you might have missed just checking out the box scores. Hayden, I've been looking forward to this, I don't know, since last January. What about you? Yeah, it's my favorite show of the week. If it's two hours, it's two hours, and it'll be a treat for the people that actually stay and listen to the whole thing. There will be notes throughout this entire show. I don't care if it's not doing well in the damn algorithm. It's my birthday. We're going to have all the notes we want to talk about. How about that? It, it is your birthday. And maybe most importantly, it's not just numbers we're going to put on the screen and charts we're going to put up the screen. We're going to put all 22. We're going to put coaches copy on the screen, too, so you can see exactly the work that we have done, and we're going to show you exactly how these players look today because there's so much to recap from week one, we're actually going to go team by team. And we're going to start off with the Arizona Cardinals, who got smashed by the Kansas City Chiefs, was 37-7 to entering the fourth quarter. Hayden, I want to first focus on the running back situation here because it was very different last year with James Conner and Chase Edmonds. Now James Conner is paid like a top 10, top 8 running back across the league. He had 10 carries for 26 yards and a score, 5 catches for 29 yards. He was the RB12 in fantasy usage, but I don't think that's giving him enough credit for what his workload's going to be. He took 13 of the first 14 running back touches. Uh, Eno Benjamin came in there. He was the only other running back to get uh, some play, but that was at the very end of the game. Uh, James Conner, the difference between this year and last year is, yeah, we can talk about the touchdown regression. He's probably not going to score as many, but he still can easily score 10 of them. He got a goal line carry here, and the biggest difference is the receptions. And I believe that his projection... A higher lower was at four. He caught like six passes this game with Rondell Moore out uh, with Zach Ertz kind of just hanging in there. He's going to catch a lot more passes this year, and the defense isn't going to be as good as it was. That's the true regression candidates on the defensive side of the ball. And James Conner's going to go out there and get every high-value touch, and he's probably going to stumble his way into the running back one zone, whether you like it or not. I caught a lot of shit. At the end of this game for calling James Conner a smash third round pick. I firmly stand by it. If you go and watch these games again, it's just 15 touches. Some might say, and seven went to, Eno Benjamin at the end of this game. But remember 37 to seven entering the fourth quarter, as you outlined, we know that James Conner is going to keep the high value touches from last season. Those high value touches in the red zone allowed him to get 15 touchdowns. If that regresses back to 10 touchdowns, guess what? He caught 37 of 39 targets last season that could hit 50, 55, 60 this year. And what you're seeing is so much more usage in between the twenties this season in between the twenties last year. He only got that work really when Chase Edmonds missed 
those six contests. So if we get a full-time player and we now needs a breather, that's when Chase Edmonds rolls into here. That's fantastic. That's the situation we have in front of us now. No one has a Chase Edmonds role. It is truly feature back territory from James Conner. We just don't need them to be losing by 30 points each and every week entering the fourth quarter. If you're in a really deep league, I think that Eno Benjamin is worth an ad just because we have some confirmation that he's the number two. Quick note on Zach Ertz. He only ran a route on 63% of dropbacks before the game. Cliff Kingsbury said that he would, quote, be smart with him. Uh, of note, Trey McBride was a healthy scratch. They just said he's not ready to know the offense. I think eventually Zach Ertz will be better and better and better, especially if Rondell Moore's hamstring injury lingers. Did we actually want to bring up Greg Dortch because we had Rondell Moore, who was inactive in week Spider-Man one. Spider-Man meme. 50 slot snaps for Greg Dortch. Six of his seven targets had an eight out of two yards. So exactly what you're saying is the Spider-Man meme. And that seventh was a 24-yard deep shot, which elevated everything, which, you know, turned his averages a bit higher, I think, into a six dot. Um, I'm not saying go out there and play Greg Dortch, but maybe this is a little glimpse of what we could have with Rondell Moore back in the lineup eventually. Well, I think the, the Greg Dortch stuff's at least worth taking somewhat serious. He was the wide receiver 35 and expected uh, half PPR points per my model. Ran a route on 96% of dropbacks, which is more than the Rondell Moore. You know, that's the, the role we were hoping Rondell Moore would have. So I guess bullish for Rondell Moore eventually when he comes back. AJ Green, uh, 72% snaps, just hanging by the sideline. Prairie yards down the field. Greg Dortch is the underneath guy. Uh, if they're not going to Marquise Brown, who Marquise Brown was fine. There's nothing to be concerned about. Um, 82% of his snaps were on the outside. That's something that we were kind of monitoring. I think eventually he might kick back inside with DeAndre Hopkins available, but maybe he stays on the outside no matter what. It's just, just an anomaly, uh, an outlier, we hope, for a team standpoint in that much of, of negative game script. Okay, that's one team down. If you liked it, subscribe down below. Hit that thumbs up button as well. of you that watch this are new, are unsubscribed. This is the type of content you're going to get. We're hoping it helps. Here we go. Atlanta Falcons time. There's a lot to talk about here because just as people didn't believe in James Conner this season after last season, people surely didn't believe in Cordero Patterson heading into this year. Outside of the top 100 in ADP, Hayden, we are back to tell the people that CPAT is still the dude. 22 carries for 120 yards in one score, three catches for 16 yards, 31 years old. He looks exactly like he did last season. He was the running back five in fantasy usage this last week. Of note, Damian Williams had a rib injury early in the game. They were mixing in, so that's something to keep in mind with uh, Cordell Patterson. But Damian Williams returned late in the game. The biggest takeaway on the film is just, CPAT looks great. You know, the oh, offensive man. line actually held up a little bit too, but they just keep giving him these stretches and some of these tosses and let him get cooking on the perimeter. He had a goal line carry that converted as well. So uh, this was a game where it was like neutral game script for the most part. There's going to be some games where Cordell Patterson is going to get like six, seven uh, targets too, if they're really trailing. But for the most part, I'm pretty confident that he's going to be their RB1. Um, Tyler Algier, the rookie, uh, was a healthy scratch. I don't want to use hyperbole here. But CPEP might be one of the best values already in fantasy drafts in August. And considering Tyler Algier was going about 30 or 40 spots after, like Tyler Algier, inactive in week one. If he isn't active here in week two with Damien Williams hurt, then something is absolutely up. We brought up last season that CPAT obviously was a superior runner to Mike Davis. A lot of that was his explosiveness to get to the line of scrimmage and work to the second level. There's a lot of times that you're going to see with these runs that Marcus Mariota is helping him create space. Like just the threat of a quarterback run keeps the backside, keeps the linebackers attention. 
And again, that gives you a 31-year-old in Cordero Patterson who still has the juice, who finishes these runs, who's very unique in his style out of the backfield, who's still catching passes like this and lining up in the slot. I'm so amped for what the Falcons put out there, even though that they did a very Falcons thing in week one. But Cordero Patterson, something seismic has to change for this usage to be altered as we go along every single week. I'll be ranking him as a running back too. Uh, real quick, you got to talk about Kyle Pitts. I know people are freaking out. Um, he is the number one regression candidate among tight ends this last week. He was the tight end nine in expected half PPR points at the uh, at the position, 84% snap, 72% routes, uh, 21% targets. Basically, when the Falcons end up to trailing games, he's going to get featured more. I'm not really worried about Kyle Pitts' usage at all. Okay, you're seeing the tape here right now. Can we be mad, though, that he made two catches for 19 yards, or should we focus more on the seven targets? And I bring that up because last year we discussed it. Out wide, in line, in the slot was about 33% across the board. This time, he had 40% of his routes were in line, and I believe he also stayed in to help pass pro on seven snaps, which is a big contributing factor in probably his weaker his weaker stat line. And maybe some of that is just because the saints pass rushed their defense in relation to the talent on the Falcons offensive line. That's probably a good explanation. Um, Drake London, I thought looked great as well. Uh, he was out there for 72% of the snaps. He's still coming back from that knee injury, but in week one for a rookie, he was already the wide receiver 39 in expected half PPR points. And to me, it's those intermediate crossing routes. He's got the size. I think he's more fluid than people give him credit for. And I think that he can turn into a wide receiver three every single week. Uh, just going to take some time uh, to get back with that knee straight. Yeah. I know that he only had five for 74 on the scoreboard, but you saw a lot of good things and exactly what we, what we wanted to see from Drake London, actually like, look, you're getting stuff after the catch for a big man. There's a, clip that's about to pop up here that he's used in tandem with Kyle Pitts, which is something that we absolutely talked about over and over and over again, because it's these two, here it is, these two bigger bodies, one slightly underneath, one slightly further down the field, the middle of the field linebacker and two high shells has to take, you know, one of the two. And so the other one's wide open. In this case, it was Drake London. I'm very optimistic from this. I know it's just 74 yards. People might not go crazy for this, but he showed in all the areas that we wanted him to that he wins the same at the college level that he does the NFL level after only seeing him for one catch in the preseason. Very optimistic for Drake London moving forward. Yep, Marcus Marietta looks fine enough, too. Nothing. Too a little crazy. shocked by how much Olamide Zacchaeus got involved. He was ahead of uh, Brian Edwards. Oh, by far. Yeah. By far. Okay. Falcons down. Baltimore Ravens up next. Just because it's the show, it's the show about usage. We have to talk about this running back situation. I don't know if this is where, where you want to start. Okay. <laughs> Mike Davis, Dust, Kenyon Drake, Ian Rappaport was actually correct in his hit on NFL Network. Kenyon Drake is a starter for now until we actually get whatever J.K. Dobbins' usage is going to be when he can touch the field. Yeah, Kenyon Drake was out there 58% of the snaps. But like we said earlier, is this is a team that is fake using their running backs. They were 30th in running back fantasy usage combined. Kenyon Drake, I'll have him as a running back three, but nothing more than that. Uh, The big news of the week for the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, was the Ravens. They were actually second in neutral pass rate this week. I mean, that that is, that is absurd. You know, like we never, we never had that. I'm maybe with Ronnie Stanley back, they'll actually get uh, a little more uh, consistency on a play to play basis. But 
if we're getting top 10 fan, or a neutral pass rate, what are, what are we going to do with Mark Andrews and freaking Rashad Bateman? It's just a matter of time. The running back situation doesn't matter when you're throwing that much in terms of pace. Also, we're going to talk about this on the preview show on Friday. Lamar Jackson is a big play hunter now. Oh, yeah. He led the NFL this past weekend, despite leading throughout this entire game, of eight attempts of 20-plus yards. Rashad Bateman came down with one. He nearly came down with another that Lamar Jackson overthrew him. That makes the hairs in the back of my neck stand up because if we're getting Lamar Jackson with that rushing ability and that he's a big play hunter and with Marquise Brown not on the roster, having 30 of those targets last season, Rashad Bateman maybe being more of the vertical threat as well. Oh, buddy, let's bug you for the rest of the season. I will note one thing I'm going to keep my eye on. Rashad Bateman only ran 71% of routes on the th- those dropbacks. That's something to keep my eye on. I don't know. I don't have a good explanation why that happened. Hmm. And Isaiah likely did did get two first quarter targets too. I know that they didn't come to fruition. I think one was against man coverage. Another time they just missed him in zone. Uh, As we know, all of his great work came with Tyler Huntley in the preseason. So maybe there's still some, you know, relationships going on with, with likely and Lamar Jackson, that starting lineup. Last note for the Ravens, Devin Duvernay scored two touchdowns, but both Duvernay and Demarcus Robinson each played 51% of routes. Uh, you can't be chasing those touchdowns. That was Those were very fluky. Devin Duvernay is an explosive player, but he's a part-time player because Demarcus Robinson could get in there and to block. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a rotation with likely out there for about 50% of the snaps too. When I flipped on this game on Monday morning, I did not expect to see that much Demarcus Robinson hitting my eyeballs on week one, but it happened. He always finds a way, man. <laughs> After being cut earlier this offseason. Okay. It's like a beetle. Buffalo Bills up next. Let's revert our eyes and our brains all the way back to last Thursday opening kickoff because Josh Allen's Bills offense arguably was the best in the league other than the Kansas City Chiefs. Everything was quick. Everything was timing. Everything was also down the field. Where do you want to start on this team? The backfield situation, the wide receivers, where do you want to begin? Let's go with the backfield. This is kind of the worst case scenario. Week one snap, Singletary 59%, Zach Moss 38%. Uh, then we had James Cook obviously fumble, then gets basically benched immediately. It's just not an offense that's going to be using their running backs. We didn't really get any confirmation on goal line carries. They were just never down there because they were too too many explosive plays for, yeah. for them to actually get down to the goal line. What what do you know there? And then James or uh it looked like Josh Allen just going to scramble like a madman this year. Uh, so I, I think really none of them are, are great bets. Maybe Devin Singletary is a RB three, but I think for the most part, if you faded this backfield uh, week one was a win for you. Okay. Let me ask it this way because James cook fumbled on his first snap, got one more bit later on was sent into the nether realm after that. Yep. Um, Zach Moss played more also fumbled after, you know, the preseason Late. usage that we got. I'm not going to say that people are going to overrate Devin Singletary per se, but we already got him as the lead ball carrier in this offense last season at like almost a higher rate than we will this season at all. And we almost saw the ceiling already, right? And that was as a fringe running back two as like the running back 26 or running back 28 in fancy points per game. Like, is that what we're hoping for here? Because again, Josh Allen was 21 yards away from leading all quarterbacks last year in rushing mm-hmm. attempts. And we know when they get, once they get in the red zone, they pass the ball a lot and he runs the ball in for scores. And last year, Devin Singletary was the goal line back late right. in the season when he started to break out. There's a chance now that we know Zach Moss isn't going to be healthy scratch. There's a chance that Devin Singletary looks the best, way more explosive, and then gets down to the two yard line. And then it's just Josh Allen and Zach Moss fighting for it. So uh, I'm going to be mostly out. Okay. Wide receivers. We saw all of them. 
literally every single one, except for Khalil Shakur, because he was inactive. Um, most importantly, we know it's Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis on the outside. Now, the slot was a rotation. We saw a lot of Isaiah McKenzie. We saw a touchdown from Isaiah McKenzie. We also saw more than I was expecting, Hayden, Jamison Crowder in this game, too. Yeah, I think there's going to be kind of roles here, not just man versus zone, which we've talked about, but also blocking versus like pure passing downs. Isaiah McKenzie ran a route on 55% of dropbacks. Jameson Crowder, 31. That's probably not going to be enough for either of them to be in redraft leagues, even in uh, full PPR. I think they're both going to be better in best ball. Also, Jake Kumaro got out there for 13% of routes too. He's their primary blocking uh, uh, wide receiver, aside from Gabe Davis, who played 100% of the snaps. Steph Diggs did come out. He only ran a route on 79% of dropbacks, which is definitely lower than you're expected, but he's so obviously their best wide receiver and they're going to pass so much that it doesn't really matter uh, all too much. He was the wide receiver 21 in usage in a game that really wasn't close at all. What's your response when you hear from people? Well, Gabriel Davis only had five targets. He's lucky to get 88 yards in a score. Well, it's the, it's the damn target share bros. And if you were not, optimizing for target share we're optimizing for yards and touchdowns and uh first of all 16 percent of targets in an offense that's going to be top five in every category somewhere close to that matters more and the other big thing for gabe davis is one even if his his target share is low he's such an efficient player because he's a downfield threat and going back to last week what do the rams always do they are the cover two quarters team in the back half it's harder to get over the top the fact that he was even able to do that and create some explosives i thought was a win gabe davis playing 100 percent of the snaps for josh allen's team it's hard to go wrong i'm going to be ranking him as like a wide receiver two three kind of depending on the matchup target shares are not equal across every single team it's different to have a 16 percent target share with the buffalo bills versus the chicago bears right or the cleveland browns it's it's so different especially when you're gabriel davis and your game is built on explosive plays from an explosive quarterback who's one of the best in the league at attacking vertically. Like, yeah, And also, how they schemed him up for this touchdown was perfect. Right. And since yes. he's a great blocker at wide receiver, he was in for something like that with so much misdirection, yep. off-play action, heavy personnel, that he's going to be wide open in those situations too. Like Ken Dorsey, for his first game as a play caller, awesome. unbelievable. Awesome. And I, I kind of agree with this. Like, I don't think Gabe Davis is like some elite wide receiver in his own right, but he d- has enough strengths and they match up perfectly with Josh Allen. Like, he's like the scramble drill guy, can get his toes in on the sideline, blocks his ass off, and he's going to be out there. Like, bottom line, the 100% snaps thing was the biggest win for Gabe Davis. I don't care about the rest. Okay. Well, we also have to talk about their tight end situation because I don't know about you. I hated that the Buffalo Bills played on the first game of the weekend because I've been talking about Dawson Knox all offseason. And if Dawson Knox played, let's say, on a Sunday, put up that one catch, uh, I wouldn't have heard so much about it because a lot of other players did the exact same thing. Hayden, my comment to you, is Dawson Knox too good at everything else other than just catching the football that it limits his receiving ability? Well, I think that for one, yes, they they paid him like a top five tight end. This last week, I think is super interesting for Dawson Knox. He was out there for all the snaps that you can be asking for. He just wasn't running the routes. And I think the two primary differences for this matchup in particular is one, Aaron Donald's on the Rams. But number two, the Rams actually use five uh, defenders on the front line. And in some of those, you have to be setting your pass protection. And Dawson Knox needs to be involved with that or otherwise it's going to be one-on-one matchups with every single offensive lineman. Not every single team has five down linemen. I think that's one thing in Dawson Knox's favor. And also the other thing is we just saw what the Bills did on that Monday Night Football. I think it's just bullish to have a piece of that offense. I thought there was a chance he was going to have like top five fantasy usage and just going to be running more routes 
I'm not expecting that uh, at this point, but I think there's enough spiked weeks and enough touchdown equity in this offense in general. And I'm not expecting him to be staying in. That was like the, his, that would have been his second lowest uh, rates where he wasn't running a route of any game last year. This was more of an outlier. I think because of the matchup, because of Aaron Donald, because the Rams have five down linemen. So much to pick up on there. Lots of good information. A couple outs for us this year with Dawson Knox were like if Isaiah McKenzie wasn't as good as we thought he might be or Jameson Crowder wasn't going to play as much as he did in week one, that we get more two tight end sets because the team also not prioritized O.J. Howard, but brought him in in free agency. And so as soon as O.J. Howard wasn't on this team, they basically have one tight end that they count on each and every snap. And now that is Dawson Knox. Plus, again, those slot receivers performing so well early on and so trusted early on that we're not going to get, you know, Dawson Knox as that vertical big slot player. Um, that we could have been detached from the line of scrimmage. And as you said, dude, look at what happened. We're going to get to this on the Rams end without being able to protect, right? So Dawson Knox helping protect with someone like Aaron Donald, who's lined up over guards, centers, tackles, over tight ends at times, cracking down on that. That is super helpful. And that is part of the reason why some of these plays were, were successful. So again, he's such a great blocker that can hinder him. It's why I partially hate the term. It's why I partially hate the term earn targets, you know? Because it makes him sound like since he didn't earn targets or get targets, that he's not good at football. Dawson Knox is an incredible football player. He's just going to take some time. And tr maybe trust the tight end where you're seeing with Cole Komet and the Irv Smiths of the world and everything else at the position. Maybe get the one that's on the Buffalo Bills. Perhaps. Good tiebreaker. Carolina Panthers. Do not get the tight end who's on the Carolina Panthers. How about that one? Um, what shocked you about week one? With Carolina, a lot of people are going to be frustrated with the usage of Christian McCaffrey. We've seen a new offensive coordinator this year with Ben McAdoo. What can we pick up here from week one? Well, they, first of all, led the week in neutral pass rate, bringing it up right now. And that's a shock. I mean, 76% passes. I think you said it was like about 13 of the first 16 plays were passes. And we were always talking about uh, in the offseason, talking about Ben McAdoo's offense usually plays with pace. So th those are the optimistic signs for the fantasy uh, outcomes for the Carolina Panthers. The problem is, is Baker Mayfield's got to be playing a little bit better than he did last week. There's a few things. I want to save a lot for the preview show. One, Christian McCaffrey should have an extra 28 yards to his name uh, in his fantasy football production because Baker, one of his four muffed snaps, uh, Christian McCaffrey picked it up Poor. and ran it for 28 yards. Um, so again, you should all count for that. It did not. Um, yes, 13 passes to three runs in the first 16 plays with a third and 12, third and 13, a third and 10, and a third and seven, the Panthers face in their first four series as well. I do think, though, that Ben McAdoo, he wants to be pass first. Like, he wants to be pacey. He he wants to run this differently than what Matt Rule has done in his past, and I will save the rest for the pregame show. I haven't watched the this offense yet, but uh, CMC 81% snaps and Robbie Anderson 100% of the snaps obviously had that huge play. Uh, I'm not expecting Robbie Anderson to overseat DJ Moore just because of the week one box score, but maybe in a deep league, I think Robbie Anderson 100% snaps in a offense going to be passing this much, probably worth a pickup, uh, but not a start. Yeah, again, a tease for the preview show. Uh, let me know if you see a ceiling for DJ Moore if they continue to play in this way. It might not exist. Chicago Bears. Okay, let's bring this up. David Montgomery is one of the most disrespected players in fantasy football. I don't get it. People oh, usually hate, hate, hate running backs. I feel like this is the year that everyone wants the running back two on the team 
to unseat the running back one. We're seeing it across the league and most notably in Chicago. After this contest, everyone's calling for Khalil Herbert, even the fans, to for him to start. David Montgomery did some really damn good things in this game. Yeah, I was I was pretty imp- impressed with Khalil Herbert's rushing ability. Same. There's still there's still a couple of plays in the pass protection and just like getting out to, to the flats in time where David Montgomery is just better at. Uh, how the offense is is run, running right now is David Montgomery gets two drives and then Khalil Herbert gets one and then back and forth, back and forth, and that's not the best news for David Montgomery. It's a little lower than it was last year, but it's still good enough for RB two usage. Uh, people are going to be citing the stats where Khalil Herbert was getting. The two goal line carries, David Montgomery didn't get one. But like I said, the the one drive where they actually got to the goal line just happened to be a Khalil Herbert play. So uh, the yards after, I think David Montgomery had as many yards as as he had yards after contact. He was constantly just getting hit. And that's a product of a bad offensive line. We're not going to be expecting Herbert or Montgomery to be efficient players, but this is going to be a running back focused uh, team. I think they were like bottom three in neutral pass rate, of course. Take a pause right here. For those of you watching on YouTube, Hayden, can you just explain what yes. this is? Yeah, so this is going to be a chart I'm going to be showing a lot. And the players are different colors. And it's going throughout the game. So the left side of the chart is the beginning of the game. The right side of the chart is the end of the game. And then the vertical axis is basically the winning percentage if you're winning or losing. Uh, the vertical player names means it was a passing situation. I defined it. You don't need to know about that. The box... Uh, names are inside the five yard line touches. I try to throw as much stuff on here to make it as less confusing as possible. It's a lot. Just look at the colors. And if you're colorblind, I apologize. I'll have to figure out a different way. (laughs) But it perfectly does outline what you just said. It was two Dave Montgomery series for one Khalil Herbert series. Cause I think there's been a lot of focus since on, well, Khalil Herbert was in the game. Like you said, in the goal line, to take it from 13 10 to to 20 to 10 but it's because it was just his series to have it and i also want to bring up dave montgomery's creating his own this is an awesome play by justin fields yeah. to throw underhand to avoid defenders but look i think this is a third down conversion or a second and long mm-hmm. conversion dave montgomery's creating on his own too i'm not saying that dave montgomery's one of the best runners in the league but you're allowed to love both demont and khalil herbert because i do it and you can just like both of them and realize each of them have flaws. <laughs> That's true. I don't really want to read into anything else with Darnell Mooney and Equinemia St. Brown and all that stuff, because as we saw, the game got worse and worse with the situations on the field. I mean, real, real quick, just to hit on that, just to put it in perspective, look at where the bears and the four Niners are on this neutral pass rate. They're what bottom four. And then the Niners were dead last. Obviously the quarterbacks get into that conversation, but the fourth quarter film, you can barely even oh, see it. It was awful. Yeah. Really awful. Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, let's save the Tyler Boyd ceiling talk for the preview show later on this week, because if T Higgins misses, there's definitely a conversation to have there. If he's a wide receiver two or flex in your lineups instead, let's talk about the running back situation, namely Joe Mixon. Oh, um, yeah. Does he have a higher receiving ceiling this season, or is this just a one game sample? That's not overreactive. I think it's a one game sample. They were trailing and it went to overtime, but Joe Mixon was the RB one in fantasy usage this week. He's also the number one regression candidate based off of that usage. Uh, he had all of his touches on first and second down. Samaj P run came in there for the passing downs, which is going to ultimately uh, keep Joe Mixon ceiling away from the Jonathan Taylor range. But at the same time, he is still capable and he is still an explosive player. And I thought that his tape, just his rushing tape 
was awesome. I thought the offensive line actually held up better than I was expecting based off of the interceptions, kind of some fluky interceptions. And Joe Burrow made a couple of just mistakes. I was like, is that Joe Burrow back there? Or is that somebody else? Uh, and I think all of that's going to end up washing away. Joe Mixon to me is could be a like a low end first round pick instead of that that second round pick just because this offense will be much better than it did last week. I'm I really am hesitating to unleash all of these Joe Burrow thoughts that I have in my head because we saw it from the Steelers running a bunch of too high in this game versus not doing it in previous seasons. Okay. Uh, and Joe Burrow struggled. But again, hate to do this to all of you, saving it for our Friday preview show. But it's stuff you want to know. Okay. Cleveland Browns. Great game for the Cleveland Browns and almost exactly what we expect when Jacoby Brissett is their quarterback because we got 22 carries for 141 yards for Nick Chubb, 11 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown for Kareem Hunt on the ground and also 24 yards in the air plus a score coming out of the fullback position on a play action near the goal line for, for Kareem Hunt. Hayden, again, we knew that this was coming from the Browns. It's just amazing that Carolina Panthers couldn't. In some situations they did, but just Nick Chubb is an unreal talent to break the most tackles and force the most missed tackles in week one, the Panthers simply couldn't stop it. I haven't gotten to watch this offense on all 22 yet, but uh, a couple of notes, Nick Chubb was the running back 20 cream hunt running back 15 in fantasy usage this week. They basically split the amount of snaps. Nick Chubb is still so damn good, but he only ran a route on 28% of dropbacks. And like you said, that one fullback where they're both on the field next to the goal line. Uh, Can't use it again. Yeah. Yeah, um, but no, you can't. I mean, it's so obvious what's going to happen from right. But he's going to be involved at the goal line. Like we saw this in healthy games last year. Cream Hunt, Nick Chubb split the the work. So this is like the worst fear with Nick Chubb is like he's going to be so damn dominant. He's going to average 120 yards a game. That's facetious. That's too much. But he's going to not catch enough passes, and the goal line opportunity to be cut in half. And it just goes back. Why was Cream Hunt available like 98th overall, man? This happens every damn year. He's always a running back two with elite insurance, and we just let him slip again. Okay, well, guess who they have this week in the New York Jets? So let's just rinse and repeat with the formula and keep playing Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt this week. Start both of them. Yeah, start both of them. Uh, Donald Peoples-Jones did some really good things. I'm just so terrified of any quarterback attached to Jacoby Brissett. And if you watch that game, you will uh, you will understand why. He was the wide receiver 19 in usage, ran a route on 91% of dropbacks, the deep threat of the team. I haven't been able to, I can't tell if Jacoby Brissett's really bad or not. Well, I'll have more on the the previous show. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Uh, There goes the Cleveland Browns. Let's now bring up the Dallas Cowboys. Jalen Tolbert was an active in his first game of the season after being, what, a top 100? The worst ADP. You weren't reading the news if you were were drafting him. But also... For those people, Jalen Tolbert at the start of camp, all beat writers were saying that, hey, this guy is going to have opportunities to be in the starting lineup every single chance. We literally never heard from him through three preseason games through training camp at all. And if you read between the lines, Noah Brown was the guy who's going to be out there in two wide receiver sets. I went up to their their camp and I was spilling ketchup on myself and I told the people, I said, Noah Brown was ahead of Jalen Tolbert. I hope you guys listened. But now it doesn't even matter because yeah, it matter. Rush <laughs> is obviously the starting quarterback. For an extended period of time, no matter what Jerry Jones is going to say. Uh, so I don't really need to talk about wide receivers. The team was and the game was crap against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Did we learn anything that we can extrapolate from the Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard madness and mess and moving forward to? Uh, 21% of Tony Pollard snaps were not at running back, played a little bit of outside. It's the same not enough. Shit with Tony Pollard. It's the same shit. That's not enough. It's, I mean, it, you can't start Tony Pollard, obviously, with Cooper Rush back there. Zeke Elliott's like barely a flex play at this point. Uh, all 12 of his touches were 
on early downs. It's it's really bad news. CeeDee Lamb, the number one regression candidate, only per the models, because we know those Cooper Cup passes are going to be going nowhere. It's it's as bad as they get. I wish they would trade for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, but what's happening here is they're going to trust the, the cowboy hat doctor, and they're going to try to rush Dak Prescott back. What can go wrong? The biggest issue with CeeDee Lamb, we loved him as a talent, but he we hadn't seen like great consistently for him. We had seen very good for a very long time. So you're basically drafting the wide receiver 13 in points per game last year as what the wide receiver 13th overall. Yeah. Like 13th yeah overall. As the wide receiver yeah. seven yeah. this season. And then now you have a, obviously a quarterback seven back, but they weren't even good with Dak in there, no. you know? So I don't think right. this, the CD lamb thing was going to hit no matter what the season. Um, did you see, I think it was Steven Jones after the game was like, we're hoping that CD lamb, like, turns more into a wide receiver one. I don't have the same exact uh, the line, but it was like basically what we said all summer. Dalton Schultz, by the way, is going to sit down in zone and catch a bunch of passes. He's <laughs> like everything that you want. 94% of routes is like elite status for tight ends. Uh, even with Cooper Rush, I think he's like going to be somebody that's going to stay in uh, the fantasy mindset. 110% Dalton Schultz. Okay. Denver Broncos time. Javante Williams, we saw a difference here versus last season. You know, they were both very active. We knew that this was going to happen, but last year, everything was split down the middle. 50, 50 carries targets, red zone work in this game though, as trailing Javante Williams was the one with 12 targets and five carries. Melvin Gordon had 12 carries and two targets, both fumbled on the goal line. Melvin Gordon did it first. So then Javante got the next one. Lots to pick up the pieces here again in a game script that we probably won't see from the Broncos that often this season. It was complete chaos. Wait till you see the chart I posted posted in the fantasy blueprint, my rankings, the the one chart where like the time it's a complete mess. They both got goal line carries. They were both playing passing downs. Um, Javante Williams uh, was the running back four in expected half PPR points, 57% of the snaps, 62% of the routes. Both of them are struggling at the goal line. It is what it is. Uh, it's hard to read too much into this, like you said, because the game strip kind of was a little bit wonky. Um, but Javante Williams looked as good as we expect him and 57% snaps in the first games. I think probably pretty bullish just in general, if you're able to get them on the RB two, three June, because a couple of the running backs that were going just ahead of them. I am nervous about, and they are older and Javante Williams is younger. Yeah. But not the older ones like, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette per se. Fat Lenny. Let's go. We'll talk about him later. Okay. That's good for Denver. Detroit lions time. DeAndre Swift had a huge, huge productive day. However, two goal line carries, actually three, two touchdowns, went to Jamal Williams, a number of goal line opportunities. If you saw his first touchdown, he got submarined on an edge run, kept up, stayed up, great balance, then restart his momentum, found the end zone. Just based on that alone and how different of a style of a runner he is than DeAndre Swift, Hayden, I don't know what you're going to say, but to me, this is why he's probably going to have opportunities like this moving forward. Yeah, this is probably going to be a, a best for b- both of them. DeAndre Swift looked, I mean, amazing on the explosive runs. That dude has some shift and some serious Juiced. burst out there. Yes, 100%. Jamal Williams not only was just getting the goal line, it wasn't like just fluky goal line situation. He was subbing in for DeAndre Swift. Like DeAndre Swift would get him there, and then Jamal Williams would score. And like you just mentioned, those were some pretty sweet touchdown runs on the tape. I thought this Lions offensive line looked very good and they weren't even at full strength this time around. The offense just to me looked functional in general. Um, So I think that both of them are going to be able to get there at points. Obviously DeAndre Swift, probably like a low end uh, 
RB1, probably going to get there more often in full PPR. But I think Jamal Williams, if you're really looking for a flex option, I think that he might just do enough. He was the running back seven in fantasy usage last week because of those goal line opportunities. I'm not expecting to get two of them every single time, but I think that if you drafted him in what, like the 13th, 14th round in best ball, you're in really, really good shape. Yeah. I mean, he's shaping up to be a, a, a zero running back lineup guy out there. Uh, two notes for DeAndre Swift. He broke six tackles. He forced six missed tackles as a runner. He did that 17 times all of last season. A lot of those were at the second and the third level in this game. But also, as you outlined with the Lions offensive line, they created on average 9.6 yards before contact for DeAndre Swift in this contest. That allows him to thrive. He is not the best between the tackles runner. He hasn't completely evolved his game into that yet. But if you give him space and allow him to get to the sideline or get to the Nasty. third level, it's so much juice attached yeah. to him. My note also for the wide receivers, DJ Chark is basically an every down player for this offense oh, yeah. that I saw. I think people are going to be really pleasantly surprised. I know he dropped one, I think, on their first series. But what DJ Chark can do this season. DJ Chark, 90% routes. He was the wide receiver four overall in air yards. I have another uh, couple columns on Underdog Network with some just advanced stats, not the usage model, but just random stats, including air yards. Go check that out. Um, but his touchdown, man coverage, 101, go ball down the sideline, comes down with it. Jared Goff definitely spooked at times. Uh, wasn't yeah. the best tape ever, but functional enough to have two and definitely a better in best ball pick. But I think that we were both on DJ Chark this offseason. I think that's going to be a win too. And the Eagles defensive line is just about worst case scenario for this Detroit offensive oh, yeah. line. Like yeah, other, other matchups, this Detroit lines offensive line is going to dominate their opponent. And that's going to allow Jared Goff to play at a higher level because he's not, he's not pressured. We have to talk about him on St. Brown first game back more target competition. We talked about all of it. He still gets 32% targets. Obviously this was in garbage time. So a little bit of asterisk there, but I mean, Wide receiver 11, fantasy usage, wide receiver 15 on the week. Uh, probably not going to repeat all of last year's numbers, but if he gets a little close, I think he's going to be a big win at cost too. If you're enjoying Hayden's fantasy usage model, that is linked in the description down below. I'll put it after the live show is over. There's so much goodness in there, so go and check it out. Green Bay Packers time. We have to start with their running back position. Is it a jump to already, rest of season, project A.J. Dillon to score more points than Aaron Jones? I said it last show and I digged into it more and I feel even more confident about it. AJ Dillon, the last eight healthy games together, he's out snapped him or out touched him inside the five yard line, 13 to one. Yep. And I went back and watched this and the big difference between AJ Dillon and other like goal line backs is he's still comfortable catching the damn passes in the flats and underneath, you know, like he's such a just great athlete. He's not just some plotter, uh, out there. So AJ Dillon, I think that he has a chance to be really dominant this year. He was the running back six in fantasy usage. Aaron Jones was the running back 31 this last week. He only played uh 60% of the snaps. It's just kind of hard to do math, 60% snaps, but not the goal line back. It's hard to really make this thing work. So I'm nervous about Aaron Jones. Personally, he's a little bit on the older side. He's had a lot of usage and he's a little bit smaller. Plus, I mean, we got to talk about the offensive line. Both tackles didn't play. They had an interior offensive line injury. The Bakhtiari stuff, it always seems like he's ready to go. And then he's suddenly not. Uh, I don't know. I'm nervous about uh, Aaron uh, Aaron Jones. And like we said, the running back that's running sideways at the snap is exactly a good thing. You want to be running straight at the snap and at the goal line, too. I mean, Aaron Jones is the one who's the window dresser. Like, he's the flash. He's, see, you're seeing a player. Uh, in this case, it was Aaron A.J. Dillon who's got the ball. 
Um, on other occasions, it was Aaron Jones as the jet sweep, as the orbit motion, as all that type of stuff. And then it was, as you said, A.J. Dillon getting the ball up the middle. I mean, again, eight opportunities for 76 yards, 13 of 37 snaps weren't in the backfield. That was for Aaron Jones. 13 of 37 snaps in this game weren't in the backfield, comparing that 27 of 31 for for A.J. Dillon. Again, going back to just his raw stats, he had 34 receptions last season. I could see A.J. Dillon getting 50, 55, 60 receptions, both of them getting that number this year. That's crazy, but I know that um, Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee today and say, hey, we got to get the ball more to 28 and 33. 28 and 33 over and over. And the frustration that you saw him yeah. with the wide Lazard, who's going to come back. This is how I think it's going to unfold. Maybe we can shift this over to the wide receiver conversation. Yeah. In this one game, you saw a beautifully designed Christian Watson open 75 yard touchdown to, to start this game. When that was dropped, the furiosity on Aaron Rodgers' face was palpable. Yep. Nothing happened outside of that with Randall Cobb and, and Sammy Watkins. So, what I think needs to happen from here on out is you play you play the rookies and and you play Alan Lazard and then you work this offense around the two running backs and namely AJ Dillon as the main ball carrier and that's like the best i think process for success as they move forward yeah totally with you he was so fresh and there's even a couple times where Romeo Dubs uh Dobbs whatever you want to call him he was like running across the middle against zone and was like just really late and sitting and finding the right spot and Aaron Rodgers was mad at him. Uh, they were splitting the rotation very evenly. Christian Watson, 67% routes. Sammy Watkins, 65 By the way, the tape on Sammy Watkins, the guy just can't move. Tried telling you Say Jones versus Sammy Watkins straight up. Guess who's winning this one, Big Evan Silva? It's already over. Uh, Randall Cobb, 62% of, of routes, and almost every single one of them came in the slot. He's going to be the slot player. Uh, Alan Lazard's clearly going to be the best wide receiver on this team. Like Even if we don't think Alan Lazard's good, the rest of these guys just aren't. Uh, ready yet you can't start any of them the highest was Romeo Dubs in the fantasy user model only at, as the wide receiver 41 uh, Robert Tunyon a little interested in he only ran around on 44% of dropbacks he's going to lose work to Mercedes Lewis who's just the oldest ass kick and run blocker in the That's damn crazy. league but uh, I think Robert Tunyon his first game back he he returned a little earlier than I expected him to he's at least has a chance if these other guys can't catch the ball Intrigued by Robert Tunyon. I wouldn't be shocked if not only because of the Mercedes Lewis comment you just made, but also just coming back from that much injury, playing 90% of the snaps is probably out of the question. I still think he looked fluid. And as we know, their red zone work other than AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones is totally up in the air. And so maybe Robert Tunyon becomes an impact player there. They need it. They need Lizard. it. Lazard. It's going to happen. Lazard's going to happen, I think. I think so too. Okay. Houston Texans time. So Damian Pierce was a starter. He handled a lot of the early game work to the tune of 11 carries for 33 yards. Then the offense totally switched over to Rex Burkhead. Hayden, mm -hmm. 19 opportunities. Lovey Smith came out today and said, when we reviewed the game, we wanted to get more opportunities to Damian Pierce. It just didn't happen. What the hell did happen? Yeah, um, they just trust Rex Burkhead on passing downs. Uh, even though that Damian Pierce started, he was subbed out. Uh, on third and five and the biggest tell the number one stat to know about this offense or these running backs is Rex Burkhead played 100% of the overtime snaps when the game was on the line they went to Rex Burkhead in all situations so uh, Damian Pierce I thought that he looked 
all right. There was yep. one play where he got tripped up. Uh, one issue on, on pass protection, arguably. But I thought he run with decent pace and decent pop when they gave him some carries. And I don't think that Rex this one was so close to being hit for a long yeah. one. I mean, look, yeah. if he isn't if if he isn't tripped up at the at the third level, he's absolutely gone here. Yeah. I mean, and and that's exactly what we want to see from from Damian Pierce. My big frustration is this was a game where they were up 20 to three through three quarters. How often are we going to get the Houston Texans up by 17 points in such massive positive game script? Yeah, not very often. And it wasn't a Damian Pierce game. Now, I think it can be outlined and hopefully this is the only situation for it where he's just not trusted in those most important situations. Two minute drill, no snaps. Yeah. Pass pro, all of that. And Rex Burkett is the trusted player. Hopefully that is the answer. And as the season goes along, Damian Pierce earns that trust. Because again, I don't think he necessarily did anything wrong per se. It wasn't egregious like we've seen from these other players in their first rookie contests. But I just am am terrified that this was like one of the handful of games that we're going to get with the Texans in neutral and in very positive situations. And we didn't get a 20 touch Damian Pierce performance. Maybe just a post by rookie bump can, but you can't start him right now. I'm going to be ranking Rex Burkhead slightly over Damian Pierce this next week. Kind of have to. Kind of have to. Okay. Indianapolis Colts. I have nothing here. I mean, everything kind of feels as expected. They were the team that worked back from this deficit as we just showed. Um, And because of that, Naeem Hines had a number of receptions. Michael Pittman went off too. Anything you want to say about the Colts before we move on from them? Just going back to the Texans that they played the Colts, I got one last note. Brandon Cooks, wide receiver two overall in air yards, 32% target share. Wide receiver 15 on the week. He's going to be in every week. Wide receiver two, in my opinion. For the Colts, I think Michael Pittman's going to be a wide receiver one. He was the wide receiver four in usage this last week. 26% targets. I thought he had decent chemistry with Matt Ryan, uh, the rest of them, the other wide receivers rotated in. Ashton Julian got in there because he's a good run blocker. Alec Pierce dropped the touchdown. He was only in there on three wide receiver sets. Uh, Paris Campbell somewhere between them. But to me, Michael Pittman just looks like an absolute dog. And we're going to have to ride this thing. We are. Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's talk about James Robinson versus Travis Etienne. James Robinson got the start. James Robinson's coming off an Achilles. James Robinson might break the entire narrative surrounding running backs and Achilles injuries. He looked exactly like he previously did and talk about trust. He is the trusted player when it comes down to it in situations that he already has that in the bank with this new coaching staff showed so much in week one. They split snaps, basically even Travis Etienne 36 J Rob 34. But like you said, you can tell that the coaching staff trusts James Robinson. It was not just the goal line carries. I thought he was just the more, a trusted runner and he looks really damn good. He's just yep. always just making the right decision. His vision's good. He had a great pass protection. Uh, Travis Etienne made a couple of very explosive plays, but you get the pros and the cons with Travis Etienne. Ultimately, Travis Etienne was the running back 36 in usage. He had a brutal drop. Like he volleyball spiked this thing at the goal line. Um, yeah, I think he had one maybe pass protection issue, kind of depending on how you're going to read out that. But to me, James Robinson is just more consistent. He's just going to get a lot of playing time. It's going to be basically impossible for Travis Etienne to pay pay off like a top 15 running back price tag. If James Robinson was able to do this in his first game back. Yeah. I mean, Travis Etienne was a third round 
pick in many of your fantasy drafts. Look, there's some really fun stuff here. There was that running back wheel route, running back seam route that he just hit. This was the awful situation that we saw pop up in the preseason. Fights the ball, knocks it down. That would have been a walk-in score. To his credit, we can break down the rest of this too. The first play or the first series, basically, Travis Etienne should have had a touchdown. Like again, versus linebacker one-on-one easy and trevor just seemed to get a bit antsy and let it loose and trevor had that in that first half he really settled down i thought as it went along but again another point and people maybe mocked us a little bit and thought we were nitpicking here look at where all these runs are they're to the edge they're to the outside it's to get the speed there's only one maybe two runs that are geared towards the tackle box because travis Etienne, and some might say the coaching staff believes this too has some chaotic vision in there. He doesn't trust it. He doesn't know exactly where he's going. He doesn't go where he's supposed to. Um, So to me, this is why, and you can still be a a very productive player because of this, but they are gearing and game planning him to get on the edges and to create explosive plays. Yeah, the Trevor Lawrence, brutal, brutal, brutal miss to Travis Etienne. I think the narrative would be a, a little bit different if that did get completed, but I think the tape is showing kind of what we were indicating. I can see this kind of being like a Zeke, Tony Pollard thing where you like, People see the the explosive play and they freak out, but James Robinson kind of doing all the rest of the work. Um, they're going to be pretty close in my rankings, I think, next week. Yeah, I mean, 12 touches for 69 yards for James Robinson, six touches for 65. Again, he's supposed to be super efficient. He had two touchdowns, one his fault, the other one Trevor's fault. I'm not out on Travis Etienne. It's just not even close to the situation where when so many drafts were happening this summer, 17 touches week in and week out were assigned to Travis Etienne. That's why that ADP was glued into round three. And I don't see us getting there unless something happens to J-Rob. And even then, I don't know if we get there. Uh, I'm giving you 14 seconds to victory lap, Zay Jones. Go ahead. I mean, Zay Jones, Hayden, for three quarters of this game, he was this team's wide receiver one. I do want to bring up Christian Kirk. I think he had 10 receptions in this contest. All 10 originated from the slot. It was exactly the vertical slot player that we wanted to see. But y'all laugh about Zay Jones. He is he is a member of this passing squad. He, All right, your 14 seconds are up. We're talking about Christian Kirk. Every single in and out play. He's there. Yeah. 21% uh, targets for Zay Jones. Uh, they were going to run a lot of three wide receiver sets. Uh, Christian Kirk, vertical slot, like you said. Wide receiver three in air yards. 29% target share. He's the wide receiver three on the week. Christian Kirk has a chance to be a wide receiver two this year. Um, hopefully Trevor Lawrence just fixes these accuracy issues. He did. It's always he did that. As, the, as the game went along, but Man, he's always, even going back to his days at Clemson, he was missing throws too. We brought this up on the first ever episode with JT O'Sullivan, like three or four throws. He wants back every single time. Then there's three or four plays that he makes that almost oh, yeah. no quarterback across the league can make too. But if those got ironed be, out to, to start, then we would have a really complete performance. I think it's going to be a gradual. We'll see it like next year. He's going to get a little bit better than this year. Okay. I don't think it's going to be like a all of a sudden breakout. I'm not sure. Time for the Kansas City Chiefs. What a performance here. And let's start in the backfield because Clyde Edwards Elair owns it. Owns it. Jarek McKinnon is the passing down work. I know that Isaiah Pacheco popped up for a touchdown and a lot of receiving work. But that all came when the game was completely out of hand. Outline why we should all be believing in Clyde Edwards-Elair from now and moving forward. 83% of Pacheco's touches came in garbage time. I think Jarek McKinnon's probably the better insurance play. Uh, Jarek McKinnon ran around on 41% of dropbacks. He did mix in on obvious passing downs. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair is the goal line back. Obviously, they're going to get him used a bunch of different ways 
Andy Reid's just a genius down there. Uh, I don't want to call like Clyde Edwards a layer, like a top 15 running back or anything. I think that's that's way too early for all that because he's going to be uh, only running around 34% of dropbacks. That's not enough. But, but if you're the goal line back for the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to be in a worse spot. And he's going to be kind of like a boom bust wider or running back like 23 somewhere in that range i think he's going to be a win uh if you drafted him as like a clear rb3 in, in drafts earlier we had a good conversation this summer on because ch has never been trusted as the goal line back over and over again and i know it was a one game sample this play the goal, the so goal line back in this offense <laughs> is andy reed's brain yeah i mean this play that we saw prior to this where it was motion getting Clyde Edwards Lair into a fullback position and then he slips and it's a little shovel pass for a score. It's like counter I mean, underhand pitch. <laughs> and then you have other sets. I think it's this one. Uh, no, it's the next one after this, but look, you have multiple sets here. You have obviously a screen that gets CEH wide open. This is what we talked about from the preseason two. three tight ends on the field, 83, 87, 88, a full heavy personnel grouping. And then what they do focus on Travis Kelsey, some contact, and then Jody Fortson, who we saw in the preseason, go up and win in contact. Like these are all different things. This is an RPO or excuse, yeah, RPO to the right, boom to the left. If the cornerback doesn't keep up with Miko Hardman, he takes it in like five passing plays inside the red zone. We didn't really see any running back work either. I know that's one game. I don't want to read in too much, but I feel like this is a microcosm of the Andy Reid changes and I bet we just see a whole bunch of touchdown passes for Patrick yeah. Holmes this year. Shocker. Yep. Uh, the tight ends played like Noah Gray, 30% routes, Jody Fordson, 25% routes. It is a rotation. I'm not going to mention how often Travis Kelsey uh, played because I don't want to get canceled on this show, but you can read the column for that. Uh, McCole Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, MVS, as expected, are the starters. McCole Hardman's a three-wide receiver set only player. Just missed a couple deep passes. He's actually a positive. I was intrigued. Candidate. Yeah. Why not? Sky Moore only played uh, 20% uh, of routes. So, yeah, McColl's out there. Mikol is the action, the move, the guy that get on a sprint and then allow him to, you know, get to the edge and run straight down the field, like you said, a couple inches or a couple yards away from a few really, really big plays. I got one more small note on Juju Smith, uh, who was the wide receiver 28 in usage. 57% of his snaps came out wide. And that's something that he always talked about. He was always frustrated as a slot only player. That would have been a career high. If this pace keeps up, he's going to be out there in two wide receiver sets. And I thought he looked pretty good. Definitely a physical player, but they're going to get, they're going to use him a little bit differently than Steelers used him. And when you run multiple tight end sets and he's one of the wide receivers out there, it's naturally going to be in count as an outside wide receiver snap too. Okay. Las Vegas Raiders. What do you want to talk about here? I mean, Josh Jacobs, clearly the top running back. Amir Abdullah came in from some passing network. So did Brandon Bolden. To me, what stood out was Darren Waller is going to be so much of a bigger part in this offense than Hunter Renfro is. I'm really terrified of the ceiling that Hunter Renfro has for this year because he's no longer a volume sponge. And when they get in high value target areas, the, the red zone work, we know that Devontae Adams, based on his 17 targets and based on his dominance in previous years, along with Darren Waller, I just don't know where the points are necessarily going to come from here with Hunter Renfro. Waller and Renfro, uh, 16% target share. Devontae Adams, I mean, my Lord, was so good. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. There was on-off splits, even with Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller for Hunter Renfro. It's just going to be harder for him. Uh, I haven't watched the tape 
um, of this game. I'm excited to do it. There was a brutal underthrow to Darren Waller in the end zone, a, a throw from Derek Carr that he wanted to have back. So a touchdown was right there for Darren Waller to have. Uh, Josh Jacobs, running back 40, lost all the passing game work to Brandon Bold and Amir Abdullah. It's goal line touchdowns or bust for Josh Jacobs and his offensive line. Yep. Uh, from what I was watching on TV, the broadcast angle looked pretty rough. Lost any of those chargers. So this is some developing news as we have right now. Thursday night football, they play. So we will not preview this for our preview show. So let's talk about it now. Keen Allen is going down. So the big question is how this void is filled. A big theory of the play from this summer for Josh Palmer was in the game that Keen Allen missed last year. He filled in as a starting inside slot wide receiver. In the game that Mike Williams missed, boom, he was a starting outside wide receiver. So some might believe, and you might be hearing this, that, well, this just means that Joshua Palmer is going to see all of the Keenan Allen work. Hayden, I don't think that that's necessarily true. In two wide receiver sets, Joshua Palmer is going to be out there, and that's great. But what we saw from this past weekend is that DeAndre Carter in three wide receiver sets is the pure slot player. And Joshua Palmer then lined up in three wide receiver sets as the outside wide receiver opposite Mike Williams. And I think that continues for as long as Keenan Allen is out. Yeah, he's basically the second outside receiver, no matter what, unless Mike Williams gets hurt. And then he's the number one outside receiver. Uh, Palmer played 71% of the routes. Mike Williams, 91%. Mike Williams, inconsistent player. It is what it is. Get over it. He's going to have some monster weeks. Uh, DeAndre Carter, clearly the slot only player. 40% of routes week one. That would be a little bit higher uh, when Keenan Allen misses the entire game, Jalen, Jalen guy, and they don't even use, don't worry about him. It's going to be Carter's a slot receiver, Josh Palmer, Mike Williams on the outside. Uh, I would be ranking them clearly still Josh Palmer second, even with Deandre Carter having some good games. He, he offers a little bit of pop though. You know, oh, like he does. Carter has man. the juice that we're looking for, for this offense. Yeah. He, he's super explosive, made some plays in preseason and, and training camp practice as well. You'll see it though. This team might run trips to one side more than any other. And in that case, both Carter and Joshua Palmer in the slot. And so that's why Joshua Palmer had three receptions in this game, all originating from the slot. He should have had a touchdown too. It was a sluggo that Justin Herbert overthrew him on. Um, I'm not, you know, shutting the light off, obviously on Palmer. In fact, I've seen some top five waiver lists this week that he should be up there. I'm just saying, do not expect him to play the pure slot role like he did right. in the one game that Keen Allen missed last year. Cause I really think DeAndre Carter has that job in three wide receiver looks. One optimistic note before I fully tilt here, uh, Gerald Everett tied in 13, 66% of routes, not that great, but he's going to be attached to Justin Herbert, which means red zone opportunities. And here's the part that I am not looking forward to. Austin Eckler, why, why? 49% snaps, 37% routes. They're clearly looking for a number two. They rotated Sony Michelle and Josh Kelly. Uh, they, this freaking fullback's popping up on my damn chart. Uh, I didn't see this coming. I, I don't know if there, there's something I'm missing from last week. I haven't watched this on the All-22 angle, but to me, it looks like this might be a little more of a committee than we're expecting by a little. I mean, like, I'm, I'm kind of worried. Yes, let's rewind this. And extrapolate why this might be, okay? Last year, he had a massive workload, scored a whole bunch of touchdowns, got red zone, end zone work, goal line work too. Um, that was when, literally, this coaching staff could not trust a single other player to the tune of spending another, what, third or fourth round pick on, on a rookie running back, right? And Isaiah Spiller. Um, this year, it feels like Joshua Kelly has enlisted some more optimism for them, some more trust than he had at this time last year. Also, you bring in Sony Michelle, who was major More reliable part of a 
certain packages and, you know, power running and pass pro for what the Super Bowl champions, Los Angeles Rams did last season. So if Austin Eckler was out there for so often, because in his own words, he was like the only trusted pass pro player passing down player. And they brought in more that give them those trust. And I think that that's why maybe some of his opportunities and some of the snaps are being taken away. I hope that the Kelly and Michelle don't look good and just goes back to Austin Eckley playing 80% of the snaps. But he, I mean, he made it very clear that he didn't want to do this personally. And you rarely Correct. hear that. Um, at the end of the day, it's still the running back for the chargers and the chargers look so awesome, but I'm nervous. If this happens again in week two, it's, it's, it's panic time. Short week. You had a great call though with Gerald Everett. Looks so smooth. Maybe it's that number seven. I know he's not out there for every single yeah. snap, but if they get that Gerald Everett from week one for 18 games, look out. That is super dangerous, super dangerous for this team. Okay. We're only through the L's. It's an hour in Los Angeles Rams. Here's Again, a let's go more all the way them. back. Yeah. Where do we want to go? Allen Robinson or Daryl Henderson first? You pick. Um, let's go Daryl Henderson. I think this one's just a little bit easier to figure out. He played 82% of the snaps. Cam Akers, uh, was not going to play ahead of Kyron Williams either. I don't think. And if you're playing 82% of snaps, I think that's hard to not rank you as a running back too. Uh, my notes with the offensive line is it was really bad. And obviously Andrew Whitworth retires at left tackle. The left tackle fill in was not good. The left guard was absolutely brutal. Um, We'll see. Daryl Henderson's not been the guy to hold up, but I don't think they have any 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 choice. They got to okay. ride him. It's shocking that one back saw eighty two percent of snaps after what Sean McVay, after what Jordan Rodriguez, after what Charles Robinson told us this summer. Right, that Sean McVay wanted to rotate his backs. Maybe he would have done that more often if Kyron Williams didn't get hurt on like the opening kickoff. Um, to your point, it feels like the Cam Akers pick, the Kyron Williams pick were all because they couldn't trust Daryl Henderson for a long period of time because every time he has gotten extended opportunity as a, the starting back, he's ended with like chronic ankle injuries, right? Mm -hmm. So for what it is right now, it is so clear that Daryl Henderson, despite the offensive line troubles, um, is a top 24 running back each and every week. Much higher than that, probably. I will also add that they're not going to play the freaking Buffalo Bills every single week. A bunch of ass kickers with Von Miller out there too. It just felt like the Rams never, ever got it going and were completely demolished. And that impacted their passing game, too, to everyone not named Cooper Cup as well. Yeah, Cam Akers, I think McVay kind of called out Akers that he just needs to play with more urgency. And he had a pass protection issue that was everybody was debating on Twitter. But I think that he was just not getting out to the flats a couple times uh, in time. Alan Robinson. Is he washed? I, I, I really don't think so. There's a lot going on here. I thought there was a couple snaps against man coverage, like literally only a couple of them where I thought he was moving. Well, the issue is he looked completely lost, not washed lost yep. in zone coverage. There was a couple times before the snap where he seemed to not get off the line of scrimmage. He was like kind of looking back at Stafford. I don't know what, up with, what was up with that. It's a team that doesn't get much usage uh, in training camp and preseason because they're saving bodies out there. But to me, there's a lot of times where he wasn't sitting in zone, just taking too much time. And that was the issue looked back. He has some minor man zone splits. We'll get into that in the preview show. So it was frustrating because he's such an experienced player. You, I wasn't expecting him to look this flustered in the new offense, but I think that was kind of my best breakdown of what happened to Allen Robinson. Uh, 
poor drink. I think that the offensive line also couldn't hold up to the effect that it did last year. So you couldn't get to like those backside digs, those backside routes that like the X wide receiver in this offense is known for because obviously the front side stuff went to Cooper Cup. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you about getting lost in zone. The timing just wasn't there at all for it. Um, I was nervous based on what we saw last year with Allen Robinson with Chicago Bears, but man, they could not stop talking about the dude heading into this season, you know, just could not do it. So I'm not done. I'm not out again. If this wasn't Thursday, if it was a random one o'clock kickoff on Sunday, you wouldn't be hearing as much about Allen Robinson. And oh, all I don't know about we're that. Not, we're not getting it with like Mike Williams per se. We're not getting it with Devonte Smith per se. It's just Allen Robinson, you know? And I think part of that is what he showed last season. Again, I just think the Buffalo bills just smack them up front. And maybe that happens more often this year than it did last year again because the offensive line. But I, I'm a believer in in it getting going, maybe not to the tune of the wide receiver 17 overall, but hopefully a top 24, top 30 wide receiver. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to rank them. I'm going to guess it's going to start with a three, not a two. Yikes. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, come on. Miami Dolphins. Oh, come on. Uh, we learned a lot about Tyreek Hill's usage in this game. Very, very different. Not from a snap-in, snap-out standpoint in terms of percent he was on the field, but just from where his targets were. Yeah, he... Um, the downfield stuff, just, it's just not... I don't, it's it's he, not going to happen. My notes, I just wrote that he's going to have to work for his wide receiver one status this year. Uh, he just... There's a couple passes on the outside where he really came down with it. Uh, he still was the wide receiver 12. In I mean, I got, I got to stop you. I got to stop you, okay? This snap, I know it was a high, high snap. Tua has set his feet, and maybe this was supposed to be double curls, like on both sides. And Tyreek saw a single high safety, and he's like, "Oh man, I could be off to the races." But I mean, this was like skipping rocks here. There was a couple. There was a couple. I I almost made a compilation, but I decided that I didn't want Tua on to show up to my house. Uh, I mean, this is probably looking too much into the weeds. I thought the offense looked all right they didn't run the ball as much a lot of play action stuff that's definitely playing to two of strengths it's going to be a lot of these things where on the outside just big comeback routes for Jalen Waddle. uh Jalen Waddle, I'm definitely more concerned about for sure in general he had that yards after the catch touchdown over the middle where the safety should have just absolutely clobbered him but didn't for some reason uh Jalen Waddle only ran around on 75 percent of dropbacks he was the wide receiver 46 in usage this week um they use more tight ends than jalen waddle was expecting last year uh for example and i think maybe there's like a one wide receiver on the field can be tyree kill and they actually that does happen from time to time so i think it was fine i'm nervous about two with ceiling definitely um this play but, dude he's so good yeah dude I mean, what what are we doing here but he's like, so damn good <laughs> what, what what is this throw it's an interception yeah. that tyree kill erases the poor placement but why isn't this ball getting let go? I mean, there was a couple on the like uh, near the end zone where he was skipping rocks too. It, I don't know. People are probably over us uh, talking about Tua, but I, I I think it's absolutely fair in that Tyreek is going to get there this year no matter what because he's going to be a volume sponge. Like you saw about five or six straight plays that were just extensions of the run game. And yeah. We're going to see that a lot over and, and this is another example of, which is great. And I mean, when you catch it and you can turn like Tyree kill and move differently than almost any other player, <clears throat> that's fantastic. But 
we got to unload here. This is another one that grinds my gears. It might look like a positive play and an okay throw, but this is wide ass open. And if yeah. Tua hits this, you have yeah. another Jalen Waddle situation where he catches it and runs it long. Instead, Tua gets both all his cleats in the dirt, but throws it short. This is wide, wide open, and it throws it low, and it turns out to be an incomplete pass. Like, this cannot happen. This is a downfield throw for Tua. We're not going to get 40 yarders. I don't care what the social media team showed you during training camp. We are not going to get it. This is as downfield vertical shot as we're getting. This is a possible big play, and the quarterback can't get it there. It is the same exact quarterback with a new coaching staff that puts his players up for success, and so you're going to get different win-loss results, but you're not going to get different quarterback results. You're not doing it right now. You're not going to get tight end results, I'll tell you that. Mike Kosicki, 43% routes. I think you can basically drop him. All the scheme stuff is going to be to Tyreek, uh, then Jalen Waddle And Chase Edmonds also, 63% snaps, 57% routes. Uh, really weird thing. The two-minute drill went to Raheem Mostert, which I was like, what? That's kind of surprising. Um, and we no goal and opportunities for any of the running backs. Very curious to see what the Dolphins, probably the smallest starting lineup in the league, look like in the red zone um, that I think will ultimately decide if Chase Edmonds is going to be an RB2, RB3, but he opened up last week uh, running back 34 in fantasy usage. I don't know how much we should put into the rushing yards over expected in the next gen stats page, but Chase Edmonds was last in the NFL with minus 42 this week. He's, he's like 190 pounds and has like 160 touches yeah. in the I mean, career. 12 attempts for 25 yards. And I think that they expect him to get far, far, more than that. Apparently, he was supposed to get, what, 67 yards outside of that. Not there, not that great. Sorry, I just had to let that two-a-thing go, and we're going to do it again on Friday for the preview show. Okay. <laughs> no, we're not. People are going to unsub. Look, I'm not I'm not a two-a hater. I'm just telling you what he is. He has not changed. This is who he is. If you don't hit that vertical shot, which is for him a vertical shot, and it just sucks that we're never going to get these Tyreek Hill four-and-a-half-yard or four-and-a-half-second deep shots anymore and big plays and extended snaps, but it is what it is. We've moved on to the Minnesota Vikings. Lower A dot busted coverages for Justin Jefferson, lower A dot across the board here. They were so efficient on a snap in and snap out basis that we basically got nothing from Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne to take with us moving forward. Justin Jefferson is just too damn good. Uh, there's a lot of three wide receiver sets. I think that's optimistic for both uh, Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne eventually. Justin Jefferson, he doesn't throttle down. When he's like stopping and turning and stuff, he's still running at full speed. It's like insane to watch because of how lengthy he is. He's he's just a nightmare out there. Um, my only notes here really, um, Irv Smith, 44% routes, lost time to freaking Johnny Munt. Like it is what it is. I don't know if that's thumb injury related, but that's not good. And then Dalvin Cook and Alexander Mass and all the running back touches. Oh, are you it's, telling me that Alexander Mass is the primary backup to Dalvin Cook? Yeah, it's true. Um, Imagine that. Adam Thielen's still the wide receiver two in routes over KJ Osborne, but it doesn't really matter that much. New England Patriots. Late news. Glad we have the show to figure it out. Ty Montgomery was placed on injured reserve. He's going to miss at least the next four contests. Ramondre Stevenson was last in everything here. Yeah. He was last, especially in receiving work. And so as soon as this news went out, the world wanted to announce that it's Ramondre Stevenson season again. Again, for uh, the 18th time. Let me bring this up. This past weekend, in week one, in negative game script, Ty Montgomery had 17 passing down snaps. Damian Harris had 12 passing down snaps. Ramondre Stevenson had six. 
in totality, I think it's a condensed backfield. I still believe that Damian Harris will forever be overlooked week in and week out. When they did the man and gap blocking schemes, their running game looked legitimately good. They tried to do more of that zone stuff. They did zero motion, very little play action. Matt Patricia had an awful game. But again, I keep seeing Ramondre Stevenson's name. To me, it's still Damian Harris's backfield until proven otherwise. Yeah, he led in every category. But I, I agree with you. I don't think there's another running back that they trust in that Ty Montgomery role. And Ty Montgomery was not just coming on the passing situations. He was actually getting like starting a drive too, uh, getting some early down work. So I think it's just going to be cutting into two. And I think the you have that Harris, colorful chart for this one or no? Uh, it'll be it'll be in the uh, how dare the blueprint. You. People, I gotta. I mean, I gotta get some people on the Underdog Network eventually too. <laughs> Can't just be all YouTube. Um. Pierre Strong's name might come up. JJ Taylor might get caught up from the practice squad. I really think it's going to be a two-person backfield now, which is a real positive for both That's, Damian Harris yeah, and Ramondre Stevenson. For that. It's just, uh, it's not going to hit as good as it did last year, I think, as a whole for, for the Patriots offense. Okay. We go from them to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, all my notes are on Jarvis Landry. Okay. Can we go there? Do it. I mean, Jarvis Landry in week one had an A dot of 13.9 yards. If you remember, I don't know, seven years ago when 29-year-old Jarvis Landry was a 22-year-old, in his first four years, the Miami Dolphins, he had a 6.2 A dot, was the laughing stock despite his uh his receiving production. Have we now seen him morph into a downfield player? 13.9 A dot, Hayden. I mean, one of them was like it, they needed some right yards downfield. And it, I mean, fantastic game, fantastic sideline grabs. I hear you. It's exciting. Um, it's going to be three wide receiver sets out there at all times. That's basically how the offense <laughs> works. For his first <laughs> okay. Um, but to me, Michael Thomas is still going to be the number one. Michael Thomas, 60% snaps. Uh, but 83% routes, they were kind of taking him down or taking him off the field in some uh, rushing situations. But I thought Michael Thomas looked good. And if Chris Olave's uh, keeps up as like a first round type of talent, I'm not sure if there's going to be enough passing volume. They were losing to the Falcons this entire game. So, of course, there was more volume than anticipated. Uh, but yeah, Jarvis Landry looked, he looked pretty, pretty damn good. I thought all three of them looked good. Like Michael yeah. Thomas once again proves he's not slant boy. Get rid of that. Some of his touchdowns, some of his catches against AJ Terrell were awesome. Um, and then Chris Olave just looks exactly what we hope Chris Olave could be and would be. I don't uh, think it's a good thing though for him for fantasy purposes. Okay. You want him to be something different? Well, like just I'm not sure if he's gonna be a target guy. I think he's just gonna be downfield. Right. He's like, not a volume I, sponge guy. Yes. And I think that's the issue for fantasy. Is like if Jarvis Land is all he does, and Michael Thomas does the same thing. My film evaluation on Michael Thomas is there was a couple times where he he slipped on like in breaking routes, but the, that wheel route uh, that he had against AJ Terrell from the slot was awesome. Ball tracking. Yeah. Awesome. I think Michael Thomas, he's going to probably get more and more opportunities. Um, and I think he's going to be maybe a wide receiver two, wide receiver three. At the, I think probably at the very worst. Maybe you want to save it for Friday's preview show. Thoughts on Alvin Kamara. Very nervous. 62% snaps. He was battling through a rib injury. So that's like the one thing I don't want to like over like panic here, but um, we'll see what the usage is next week. But Taysom Hill got involved. Mark Ingram got involved. James isn't going to throw the running backs as often. He's a little bit older, a little bit smaller. You do the math. We have a clip on the channel about Kadarius Tony. Um, seven snaps, two touches, manufactured touch, looked electric. Uh, 
based on this wide receiver grouping of David Sills, Sterling Shepard, now a hurt, Wandale Robinson, who's day-to-day or week-to-week, as Brian Dayball said, and Kenny Galladay, however you want to put it, um, you would think that the talent would win out for Kadarius Toney. But when is it going to happen if it's not happening in practice, if he's not going to play on the field? And someone, and Giants fans are great, uh, came and jumped to my mentions when I mentioned that I would love to see him play more often, obviously, because he's awesome. Apparently, Dayball all offseason has been saying smart, tough, dependable, arguably, Kadarius Tony is 0 for 3 in those categories. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I mean, You can't do him. anything. The, the question is if you drop him or not. I'm not dropping him this week. If, it, if nothing happens next week, then I think you can make a case for it. Uh, quick, what just really quick what, note. What, what you're looking exactly for him, though, is 2021 Brandon Ayuk. Yes. Like yes. doghouse, first seven games, awesome, last 10 games. Yeah. So if you're in a deep league, I, I'm definitely holding on to him. Uh, Richie James basically replaced Wandale Robinson slot only player. He was the number one target, but that's Sterling Shepard. You don't want like this is a can't do it. rotation. Saquon Barkley. I mean, my God. insane. We said uh, it was in the range of outcomes that he was the running back one overall. Like we we there weren't many yeah. players with that upside. Three, I think we outlined in CMC and Jalen Taylor and Saquon Barkley. And it's still a possibility. Yeah, he was the RB3 in usage, 82% snaps, which if that holds up will be maybe the number one in the entire league. And next-gen stats clocked him with the fastest miles per hour in Love many it. years. So uh, we're rocking and rolling. If Kadarius Tony's not going to catch passes, maybe Saquon will. Are you saying Saquon still has his explosiveness? Yeah, Daigle's canceled <laughs> what he said last Hopefully time. you all checked out the uh, Sunday Night Recap Show. Insane stuff. The it's comments hilarious that it. every single comment was about the bald guy saying that Saquon doesn't have his yeah. juice anymore. Like, Who's this guy? Get out of here. <laughs> we love you, Daigle. That show was great. Okay. New York Jets. Brees Hall was selected in round four. Brees Hall was selected 100 spots ahead of Michael Carter. Point blank period. Michael Carter is simply a better football player than Brees Hall is right now. They are using him that way. I think he's definitely the more consistent player. Brees Hall obviously has the fumble, but Michael Carter to me, watch him run up the middle. For a smaller guy, he just runs up the middle time and time again. He did have a very costly drop. Uh, and I mean, Joe Flacco is, he can't move. He's no. not stretching there. No one's stretching the field vertically. So it's just dump off, dump off, dump off, dump off. It's a, it's a pathetic offense to watch. Yes. Uh, but they're going to throw it to their running backs time and time again in both. Uh, Brees Hall and Michael Carter, because of those dump offs, both were top 11 in fantasy usage. Michael Carter was just more efficient. Um, man, it's just Michael Carter's the one, though, right now. That's how they're using started, played more snaps, the whole thing. I think he's just more consistent. Yeah. Tough opponent for the Jets in week one. Obviously, the Ravens are stacked up front. They're fast. They have an awesome secondary. So when Joe Flacco uh, is forced to hold on and pat the football a few times, he's obviously going to check it down to. These running backs. I don't know if we can expect, you know, Michael Carter to get seven receptions, Brees Hall to get six receptions every single time. But when it's coupled with a quarterback who does not want to move and literally wants to get the football out, I mean, Michael Carter's flex territory immediately flex territory. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. He's such a good between the tackles runner, and we knew he always had this passing down work from his time at North Carolina. He was the most disrespected player in fantasy football drafts this year because the dynasty community infiltrated our best ball drafts and told us to draft Brees Hall who might hit. He had some decent snaps, but Michael Carter is legitimately good, legitimately good in every single phase of the game. And it's like, none of you even cared. 
let's move on to the wide receivers. Elijah Moore, 90% routes. Uh, he's the number one. Behind him, there was a rotation. Early on in the game, Garrett Wilson was buried. Braxton Berry, a slot-only player, he was out there for uh, 47% of routes. Then Garrett Wilson started coming in later into the game. It was very much garbage time, so it's kind of hard to read in. Did he earn more it's reps? some good stuff, he, though. He had a couple He had a couple good yards after the catch uh, plays, but to me, Corey Davis made a lot of plays over the middle. I'm not sure if you watched this game. And some fantastic catches. Yes, but he was he's the one that's going over the middle and like taking a hit because he's so Tough damn crap. physical. So I yeah. think that's something where... Corey Davis was the wide receiver 18 on the week in wide receiver usage. Uh, I'm not telling you to start him by any means, but uh, I think that Garrett Wilson is still a bench guy, probably going to be a post by rookie bump candidate. Um, and even then, if Braxton Barrios is going to hang around here, it's going to be kind of hard, um, especially when Zach Wilson comes back. As a reminder, I, we watched Joe Flacco this week. The betting markets moved the point spread towards the Jets when Joe Flacco was named at the start of this week. Wow. They got the Ravens in week one. They get the Cleveland Browns in week two. We'll save it for the previous show, but there's about to be a lot more dump offs to Michael Carter and Brees Hall. Um, the issue is they also have JOK, who's relentless and a speedster mm -hmm. to close down on those. Um, starting any Jets this week is going to be a nightmare. Uh, but you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it. Are we going to get the white guy back in our lives? I think we might need to. He's at least We're more closed. mobile, man. We're He's closed. at least more mobile. Um, and Robert Sala with some of these quotes, dude. Have some perspective on oh, the team. I, I, ha I have to say this. Uh, Tyler Conklin, 82% routes. He was yeah. a tight end six uh, and usage, the tight end nine and actual production. I mean, I I guess he's he's out there more than other tight ends on the tight end two borderline. Garrett Wilson had some really – you know who he moves just like is Jerry Judy. Yeah. He moves exactly like Jerry Judy mm -hmm. in terms of chaotic all over the place – multiple hitches can make people miss in tight spaces too, but yeah. not really go anywhere at the exact same time. You know what I'm saying? That was their, his college tape too. Yeah. Their, their movements are, are eerily similar. Philadelphia Eagles. Um, it started off pretty rough. Like Devonte Smith had two targets on and Jalen hurts was getting absolutely obliterated in the pocket. And that's why Devonte Smith again, after once they got AJ Brown going, uh, was not useless per se, but the, the usage, the volume between the two, I know it's just one week, don't want to extrapolate it for 18 games, but it's going to be drastically different because the areas of, of the usage, the areas of the targets, Hayden, are are so different between the two players. Yeah, Devonta's just... He's, he's glued, a good player. But he's, he's glued a, to the sideline. Like, yes. all, all of his routes are hard, you know? Yes. Like, all of the... A.J. Brown's getting more screens, just more targets in general. Obviously, you saw the stat lines but it's a lot of the in-breaking routes all the devonta stuff is just isolated down the sideline and make your man one-on-one -on -one. out there yeah those are tough those are tough um so i'm worried um news or pass rates were higher than they were late last season they weren't like nothing crazy um and to me jalen hurts is like the one that's just absolutely gonna smash you know like they have <laughs> he has everything at his disposal so it's it's go time with him Okay, backfield. Miles Sanders versus Kenny Gainwell versus Boston Scott. All three, I think, got Chaos. a goal line red zone touchdown. Uh, are there any truths we can take from it? I think that they view Miles Sanders as their big play guy. I think Kenny Gainwell is their passing down back. He was playing in the two-minute drill. Um, they all got goal line opportunities. Boston Scott, weirdly, at the end of the game, fourth quarter, very close game. He was the one that came in to like grind out the clock and it wasn't like garbage time. This was like, who are we relying? And I always think that Miles Sanders, this coaching staff, like 
likes his big playability, but the consistency and the reliability, I'm not sure if they fully have that. So it was a three back rotation. This offense is going to be in the red zone more often than they were last year. So Miles Sanders is going to have more goal line opportunities, but it's not going to be all of them. And he was the RB 18 last week against the lions. I'm going to be viewing him viewing him as like probably a low floor RB two, three, somewhere, something like that. Pittsburgh Steelers. If Mitchell Trubisky played like he did this past weekend, he's going to limit the ceiling for all the pass catchers. Uh, our buddy Bill Barnwell pointed this out. He had four big plays. He had a flea flicker. He had a tight end screen. He had that ludicrous one-handed catch to Deontay Johnson along the sideline. That was a back shoulder attempt that wasn't even close to being a back shoulder. And then he had a free play on that throw to the middle of the yep. middle of the field. Um, this forced, you know, George Pickens to have three targets, one catch for three yards. We had four catches for 18 yards for Chase Claypool, who did more with his manufactured touches as a jet sweep running back. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, if this is the Mitch that they want to roll with, it terrifies me with all three pass catchers. He's not good. He can't play. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you guys. He can't push the ball downfield. All of his throws to George Pickens down the sideline were nowhere close. It was throws. I mean, not making throws, bailing out of the pocket. I'm not sure if this is like a Matt Canada thing. I'm like trying to like, I want more tape to figure this out, but he drifts out of the pocket so damn fast. And I know that Matt Canada likes the quarterback movement, but there was a lot of times where he's like not setting his feet, throwing on his toes and the ball was just getting going everywhere. Uh, those Bill Barnwell plays, if you remove those, we're talking about like two yards per drop back. Like, I mean, you, you like big Ben, I mean, big Ben level stuff from last year. So, I mean, just give me, just give me Kenny Pickett already. I've had enough. Yeah. We need Kenny Pickett. Pat Fryermuth though, 10 targets, five receptions, 75 yards. That's really promising for we're looking for tight ends, you know, after that tight end 10 mark seems like despite what we said about the wide receiver group, he could be one. Yeah, he was the tight end one in usage last week all over the red zone. Um, 77% routes. And the only thing is we like Pickens, Claypool, Deontay, how sustainable is all this stuff. But he's he's good enough to overcome that, in my opinion. So I think he's like a tight end one, too. And despite what looked like a gruesome injury that he hobbled off, it sounds like Najee Harris is going to be yeah. playing in week two, which is preposterous. I, I can't believe it. But Jalen Warren was the only other... Steelers running back to get an offensive touch. I think that he was a speculative ad in deep leagues, just in case um, they rewound the tight, the tape and looked at Najee Harris's leg and how it was bent backwards on that play. I'm not sure if the, the team docs have seen that San Francisco 49ers Hayden. It's our favorite game to play every single year. Guess how Kyle Shanahan is going to divvy out the backfield touches for the rest of the season. You go first. Well, I actually can pull up the chart if you give me a second here. Um, I just got to find it. Give me a second. Okay. I'll give my spiel on this because Elijah Mitchell, who started off in this game, was going to be fantastic. Uh, It almost gave us visions of what we're going to get from 2021 Raheem Mostert. Um, My, and I'll let you go first before I drop the hammer here. Elijah Mitchell was going to go off this year and the offensive line. He was going to overcome the offensive line because he has the speed. Jeff Wilson, to me, he's going to be out there, but he doesn't have the same juice that Elijah Mitchell does. And they're going to have to get Debo Samuel uh, involved. Debo Samuel is very involved later in the game. Um, I thought Trey Lance looked all right. We get to him in a second, but I'm very, very curious what Tyrion Davis price is going to do. That's the big difference. He was not uh, starting or he wasn't even active because he doesn't play special teams. Obviously now he's going to be in there. So in theory, he could mix in a little bit, uh, but Debo Samuel has to play running back because I don't think Jeff Wilson's all that good. And I, they clearly don't trust Tyrion Davis price yet either. 
Yeah, the answer is Debo Samuel on who's going to get all the running back points. I'm not saying the most rushes or the most carries, but they put incentives in his contract for him to play running back. It's certainly from week one. When Elijah Mitchell was even out there, Debo Samuel was getting three, four running back touches. There, What do you think is going to happen when Elijah Mitchell's not out there? You know, he's going to see even more. He's their best outside runner, yep. period. You know, yep. he's their best runner inside the 20-yard line. Period. Kyle Shanahan is going to want to win games. Now, if Debo is the best outside runner, the question is who now becomes the best inside runner? And I could go on a ledge and say that Ty Davis price might be, you know, this is why they drafted him is to be a straight line hammer. Here's your hole. Pick up as many yards as you can. Um, I know that a lot of people who read training camp reports are going to say it's Jordan Mason. It's Jordan Mason. I think one of the reasons why Jordan Mason was ahead of Ty Davis price this past weekend was because he played special teams, right? TDP does not um, maybe, and who knows again, it's tough to predict what Kyle Shanahan is going to do. Maybe that is the case. And Jordan Mason is just ahead of TDP here, but at least this opens the door for the upside for the ceiling of having TDP grow into a role on this team. He is the speculative ad for me of this running back grouping, not named Debo Samuel, who is much closer now to hitting every single projection of where you drafted him based on getting even more rushing production, I think. Well, I, I can't wait to share this. He's actually a positive regression candidate per my model. He was the wide receiver seven in usage, only scored wide receiver 23 uh, production. So he split his time, 22 snaps at running back, 34 at wide receiver. He's going to have to get there. Um, Trey Lance, there was a couple plays where the, the footwork was not great missed clearly missed a couple throws i don't think there it was that bad of a game though you know like there were some very clear lows but i thought he made a couple big plays um as well the offensive line he's gonna have to overcome that that's a lot to ask for somebody that has so few snaps under his belt the interior offensive line i don't think is very good uh mike mcglinchy on the right side got just wrecked a couple times as well so um I think Trey Lance is going to get the next two games just based off the schedule. And then if he really struggles or 0-3, maybe against the Rams, they would bring in Garoppolo. But I think that's pretty premature to expect Jimmy G to get in there. I thought that his tape, the Trey Lance tape, was a little bit better uh, than I thought going in. Yeah, I thought Mike Martz basically putting both Justin Fields and Trey Lance six feet under was like one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard. Um, Trey Lance did some good things. I would also tell people to stay patient with Brandon Ayuk. Um, he had an outside the numbers catch. Hayden, he had an outside the numbers catch that was taken away by a penalty. He looked explosive in that jet sweep. He had another catch over the middle of the field. That was awesome. And Hayden, if we get more Debo Samuel at running back, that means we get more last 10 games from Brandon Ayuk from last season. When on a per game basis, he averaged the same number of points as Mike Evans and Tyree Kill. That's was over the middle of the field. Now, as we saw in this game, Trey Lance had, I think, three completions, 10-plus yards outside the numbers and down the field in yes. horrid conditions. Right. Jimmy Garoppolo had 25 all of last season. Like, this is a real thing that's going to happen. And I truly, truly do believe, despite what we might have said in the kickoff show, the weather conditions absolutely limited the passing offense of what this team could have been. I would say in the fourth quarter. The, the I think it was playable early on. My, my big concern, I think we're going to have to make a – a little agreement here. I think he's going to be better in best ball. I think there's not going to be consistency. The 49ers were, I mean, in their own category, 26% neutral pass rate last weather 
but but not for the whole game for like for some of the game i mean i, I think the conditions on the field the cuts yeah, and everything no, i bet sure. that they believed that they could get to the edge on the ground and block better than everyone else versus having a rookie quarterback and again in those conditions with a wet football throw the ball i bet we see that go up moving forward they were also losing this game too yeah you know like there's gonna be some games where they're winning and not, yeah. they, he might not, might not throw the ball at all late okay. in some of those games. Again, we have some people who are gonna listen to this and I are watching right now making waiver moves. I think Jeff Wilson's gonna top the list for a lot of people out there. I would just stress that Jeff Wilson's ceiling is going to be capped, not only yes. because Debo being the best inside the 20, inside the 10-yard ball carrier on their team, you also now throw in Trey Lance with that ability versus what they had last year in Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I think I'll probably be, I haven't set my rankings, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess I'm going to put Jeff Wilson's like running back 28 or something this week. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't blow your whole budget on Jeff Wilson. They'll, they'll be better candidates, I think. Okay. Seattle Seahawks. This game happened last night. Uh, we saw Rashad Penny own the backfield. We saw Travis Homer come in for some pass pro work. Uh, love seeing Geno Smith make some plays too. And we just saw DK Metcalf and Tyra Lockett look like DK Metcalf and Tyra Lockett without Russell Wilson. That was really positive. Yeah, I would say for DK Metcalf, 25% target share is, I think, good enough for him. They're obviously going to pass the ball when they're not winning, and we're not expecting them to be winning too many ball games here. Uh, DK Metcalf did better than Tyra Lockett in the Geno Smith games from last year. Uh, those are like small sample splits, but something to at least monitor. Uh, Will Disley played ahead of Noah Fant, so I mean, my my goodness there. And then, like you said, uh, Rashad Penny was the early down back, lost snaps. Travis Homer, they are kind of optimistic. Kenneth Walker, Kenneth this Walker's going to return this week. We'll see. I, yeah, I thought Rashad Penny looked nearly as good as he did to end last season. And if that's the case, then you're splitting early down work, maybe 70 30 between Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker. And then Travis Homer's getting the passing down work. That's let Walker me. try the, the passing down stuff, let, let him try it. I hear you. I also forgot, and we're not going to have to go through this. We can do it during the preview show about the Denver tight end situation too, since you just brought up with Will Disley. Um, I know that Alberto came in and I was tweeting through it, that he was a tight end four in snaps early on, but I thought the usage at the end was very promising. It was all a negative game script per se. It was very clear, especially because the announcers had this information based on their team meeting, probably that they had uh, with Nathaniel Hackett that, um, they were just planning in the script early on to use these three or four tight ends in a bunch of different packages and usages. Alberto was a 74% routes, um, yeah. but that's with Greg Dolchich not in the lineup. Eventually, Dolchich was coming out. He was a tight end 14, so they just don't trust him as a blocker. And then eventually, they drafted Dolchich to be the passing down back. So I think for right now, he's a tight end two with upside. I think long-term, there's reason for some pessimism. Okay. Tampa Bay, Buccaneers, just a couple more left here. Starting the passing game, if you don't mind, Tom Brady continued his rare combo of getting the ball out quickly while still being very aggressive down the field. His time to throw was two and a half seconds, third quickest in week one. His air yards per attempt was 10.7, second highest in week one. We know that's good news for Mike Evans. We saw some big plays from Julio Jones. I think Julio Jones is absolutely worth a start in your flex spots. Yeah, uh, Chris Godwin's going to miss some time here. Russell Gage still coming back, um, but Julio Jones was... The wide receiver 12 in air yards last week ran around on 76% of dropbacks. Uh, only thing I'm going to bring up with the Bucks, and it's too early to panic. I'm not saying like that. It's just something to monitor. They were 28th in neutral pass rate last week, and uh, obviously they were winning, and neutral pass rate's not exactly perfect, but Todd Bowles made a couple comments here. The Pewter Report, who covers the Bucks, made a couple comments that they want to be more balanced this year, and that's why Leonard Fournette had such a great game. But this 
maybe it's a Bruce Arians versus Todd Bowles thing. Who knows what it is, but that's at least something to track here. Uh, Tom Brady and them, they'll overcome it regardless. But like the ceiling potential that we had, like what that we saw last week or last year, I'm not sure if the odds that we're going to have that repeating. Um, just yeah. something to monitor. I'm not reading into it in one week. Yeah. I'm also, you know, fair. not in the spread. Because, I mean, Byron Leftwich is calling the offense this year and he called the offense last year. Um, yeah, but it's like a philosophy thing. I'm just, yeah. I think I think part of it is that they just knew that they were dominating the Dallas yeah, Cowboys. Cowboys were cooked. Um, we've also seen, you know, Tom Brady open with six straight runs. We've also seen him open with six straight passes Game in a single contest. You know, I think Lenny had like seven touches in the first 13 snaps of this game and then they were winning. Um, let's talk about Lenny. Yes, please bring up your chart. Because yep. not only was James Conner a smash in the third round, Leonard Fournette, if you read the drafts right now, arguably the 12th overall pick in drafts, he should have been going. I mean, he dominated snaps early. Uh, dominated. I, I, would, I would say it was a win for Rashad White, too, just for being the number two. G- Giovanni Bernard didn't play any uh, offensive snaps. Keyshawn Vaughn was a healthy scratch. So um, the the way to do this was to draft both of them. And I think Leonard Fournette, as long as he's healthy and doesn't get benched, He's going to be out there. They clearly trust him. And if Todd Bowles wants to run the ball, it will be with Leonard Fournette. I had a conversation with Herzig on this because I brought up if we were redrafting right now, Leonard Fournette has the name for 12th overall. He was nervous that Rashad White even got playing time because in his eyes, if Rashad White got playing time in week one, only naturally, that means his opportunity is going to grow as the season goes along. I don't know how true that is. Um, I would say yes I just and no. Think, I would say yes and no as well. Like if good things are happening with Leonard Fournette and he's not exhausted and you're not just going to put in Rashad White for goal line situations, for high value touch situations, if everything is 100% with Leonard Fournette. But it's exactly what you said. If something does happen to Lenny for a series, for two series, for a game, that Rashad White going in immediately as the only other back to touch the ball is important information. Just going back to like the waiver wire, Jeff Wilson, I would rather pick up Rashad White. I would, I would spend more money on Rashad White in waivers than Jeff Wilson, even if Jeff Wilson's going to project better for him right now. Rashad White has league-winning ceiling. Same thing with Leonard Fournette. I think that's like the argument is, even if we are worried that Rashad White could eventually eat into this, Leonard Fournette, there's no question. There's not even a debate. I'm not going to listen to it. He has top three fantasy upside for the entire course of the season if this usage continues. Yeah. I mean, just look like a monster in that first half. Tennessee Titans, Dontrell Hilliard, speaking of running backs, has that passing down work. Hayden, he got two receiving touchdowns in this game. Derrick Henry got similar work than we've seen in the past. I haven't watched this game, to be honest with you. What do you want to talk about with the Titans? Uh, The Dontrell Hilliard, he had 12 touches. Tone setter, Hassan Haskins, had nine. So it was a little more split than I was expecting that to be. Um, so I'm not rushing to pick up Dontrell Hilliard. I think that would be probably a little bit of committee. Uh, I haven't watched this game yet either but week one routes robert wood 77 percent kyle phillips 64 percent obviously uh some slot but he actually played outside on 32 percent of his snaps which i thought was kind of interesting and then nick westbrook akine is 64 percent traylon burks 36 percent it's a four wide receiver rotation uh let the best wide receiver win before we get to the last team if you're listening on the podcast feed we even had more than like one review in the last like 30 days because we never promote it if you're on the podcast feed, which those of you tuning in on YouTube can check out in the link down below, take 30 seconds, hit five stars, write a comment, talk about Hayden's birthday, wish him happy birthday, maybe. That's the best way to do this. We Not would bad. appreciate that. Just some extra, extra reviews. Okay. Washington Commanders, 
our guy, Scott Turner, a favorite play caller on the show, was in his damn bag. Hayden, he Scott was. Turner had a day against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You'd love to see it. This has always been a pro Scott Turner show. Yes. Let's talk uh, Antonio Gibson. I've got um, this I wonder- for you if you want me to. Okay, yeah, I just got it up right now. This was a very cool play design playing into Antonio Gibson's strengths. They had two players in the backfield play action and then get Antonio Gibson in space on a deep target right there. It wasn't just this. There was uh, swing passes. There was screen passes. It was all the fun stuff that you can do with a running back that doesn't require him to have to pass protect. Get him out in the route earlier and let him cook, and that's what happened with Antonio Gibson uh, this last week. He was the running back nine in um fantasy usage uh running back 12 obviously when brian robinson eventually comes back this will not hold up uh but jd mckissick only 36 percent routes so i think this was definitely a win for antonio gibson because scott turner yeah and i think it shows just how good scott turner is because three weeks ago you couldn't draw up this game plan for antonio gibson because he's going to be the backup running back right you know and so creating something around a piece of a player who was more or less benched that shows a lot. Uh, I said it on the Sunday night show. Carson Wentz is good for Terry McLaurin. I know that might be weird in some ways, but for a guy who is so aggressive outside the numbers and down the field, who has an arm to get it there. Uh, that's a big win for Terry. We also got, and I haven't watched this game yet. At least the Washington offense, weird, crazy, awesome Curtis Samuel yes. usage that brings us back to, I don't know the 2020 season. Yes, uh, it's kind of legit in some ways and kind of not legit in others. Obviously, Terry McLaurin only gets 10% of the targets. That's for sure going to go up. Uh, and Curtis Samuel wasn't in two wide receiver sets. That was Jahan Dotson, who also had a great game. But the Curtis Samuel stuff is at least somewhat legit. He had four carries, uh, and they weren't just like jet sweep carries. They're like actually kind of like running back carries. He did fumble one of them, but continued to get that usage afterwards. 27% targets. He's the underneath guy. A lot of this is... Uh, Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin are running deep routes, and then Curtis Samuel doing all the fun stuff underneath what with Scott Terry did with him in Carolina, too. It was pretty nasty. Scott really did it is. with him in Carolina. Scott t- took over for Norv for the final like six weeks of one season and uh, got immediately force fed Curtis Samuel the football in the backfield as a compliment to CMC, and then obviously did all this fun stuff. Um, Curtis has always had this, man. I just didn't want to talk about him heading into this year because I did it way too much heading into last year. But if he's like the move player where Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin are like the downfield players. Right. Now, with the said, it's still the Washington Commanders. Uh, can they support three wide receivers each and every week? No. That's why I'm a little bit nervous with Terry McLaurin. Like not full full panic, but like I'm not having like range like wide receiver 17, 18, somewhere in that range. If Jahan Dotson looks as good as he did and Curtis Samuel is going to stay healthy and do this this type of stuff, I think it's going to be a little harder for him to like pay off that. The, the consistency is just not going to be there. Um, definitely a spiked week player. I mean, he had an awesome one-on-one play down the sideline uh, to get him there. But fun offense, at least. You know, watchable. Last time, the, the, the Heineke stuff was just... It was too damn much. Uh, they can actually run a functional offense right now. Josh to Goff, Hayden to Heineke. That's the analogy here to... Uh... To close this one out. Um, I'm just glad we got Curtis Samuel back in our lives on the football field and, and playing. because he, He's a good player. All right. That's it. Check out below the fantasy usage model. What an amazing show. Hour 45 minutes. We'll be back here Friday morning, most certainly, with the game-by-game preview show. Dive into even more information ahead of all the matchups, all of 
the lineup conundrums that you might have and who to start because we just reacted to week one and week two might be the biggest brain melt in terms of who you start and who do you not because of the information that we just digested from just one game under our belt. Thanks, everyone. Up the villa. We will speak and talk to you all soon. See ya. <laughs>